Okay, let's get started. So we're going to do Romans chapter 8 again. We didn't get through the whole chapter last week, but we got through the majority of it. Um, well, we got through a lot of it anyway. So we're going to do we're going to do quite a bit of it. We might be able to get through all of it tonight. We'll we'll see what happens. So I just wanted to do some extensive study on it because Romans chapter eight is a big chapter in the life of Christians and really in the life of Paul's uh, case or argument or whatever you want to say and how he's developing Romans, and we again have been through this sort of everybody's sinful thing, everybody has not lived up to the, the standard of, of God, and then ultimately the law couldn't help you get live up to that standard, and then thank God for Christ, he did, and then Paul shares some of his own personal testimonies about that. We talked about that last week, the end of chapter 7, and I just want to get into chapter 8 again. We talked about condemnation Last week that starts off. So I'm gonna just I'm gonna just look at one through. Um, let's see. Well, we'll we'll get into the. Let me let me add some intro stuff, and then we're gonna get into it because I think it's important. So Paul again, he's made. I was trying to write down some things, summarizing some things. He's made the case for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right. He's made the case for the gospel that the gospel is that Christ has died for us, that so we're justified by faith alone not by a law or anything like that. And this, he's done that through uh, what I would say is careful reasoning. He's done that through scriptural quotation, right? There's been a lot of different quotation of Old Testament scriptures. He's done that by illustrations. He was talking about marriage as one illustration he used for that. And he's done that through personal testimony. Again, at the end of chapter 7. Now, righteousness, the key, these terms that we've been using, righteousness is right standing with God. And we understand we do not get that through our human endeavors at all. We cannot earn that righteousness, but by faith in the gracious gift of Jesus Christ. Okay? Having faith in Christ. Now, the benefits of that we've heard sort of throughout the last couple of chapters too is, is that it's peace and joy. And now he's talking about transformation okay not only is it peace and joy but it's a literal transformation of the identity of who you are in the world and how you relate to god and how you relate you know god in your daily life and into all things so these are the dynamics of so the argument has gone from the I guess you say the identity of what you were before Christ. And then when you meet Christ, there's this, this is kind of what he's hitting right now in chapter eight and on. He's starting to get into the dynamics of living a Christian life. Okay. You're going to have all these things that come in. So you have this justification that happens, big word, right? We know it, but justified because of what Christ has done for us. And now we're getting to sanctification. We're being sanctified and sanctified means holy living, sanctus, okay? And so we have justification, sanctification, justification to clarify again on some things. And I haven't really said this, but I love how, as I was doing some more study, and I love how they simplify this, justification is the relational side of it, that we were once far from God, but now we are close to God because of what Christ Jesus has 
done for us. Because of our faith and what Christ has done for us, we are now not far from God anymore. We are close. So the justification side is this relational side. Then now this is the sanctification stuff that he wants to get into. And sanctification meaning real change. And the real change happens when we are born, we have a new identity. We are born again. Okay, He doesn't say that, but you can reference back to what Jesus was telling Nicodemus in chapter 3 of, of John, where you have to have a, you have a total new identity, and you will have it if you believe in me, okay? And that's what he gets into Romans chapter 8 as well. But this idea, and he uses over and over, Paul does, this dying to self and rising new in Christ. So this new life found in the Spirit. And so God doesn't, he not only, let me say this too, he not only sees us as family now, meaning that relationship is restored, justification, but we enter, he enters into us now and he transforms us, okay, into new life. So he sees us as a family, we are part of something new, but now he's entered into us through our faith and then he changes us and he makes us become something new. Now, Paul argues, uh, he, he's basically transitioning again from this relational change of justification, being a part of a family, to transformational change, which is sanctification. And I love just, as I read different things, I find these cool little sayings. I, I wrote this down. God doesn't love you if and when you change, God loves you so that you can change. And if you follow me on social media, you might have seen that this week. But God doesn't love you if and when you change. God loves you so that you can change. Now, that's pretty powerful, okay? Because, again, a lot of people in Christianity and some even churches or Christianity for a long time, the dominant thing is, is that once you change, then God loves you, Right? So, again, that is not Paul's actual major argument. Yes, sir? This point that you're making though, yes. is actually what got Paul in trouble with the Jewish officials. Right? Yeah, exactly. You know, they, Big they, time. They declared him persona non grata. Yes. And meant to the fact he was a Roman citizen. That's right. They would have done him in. That's right. Ultimately, his theological stance on that whole deal is what had got him such, yeah, I mean, fits. Yeah, that the Jewish people wanted to kill him. Um, and yep, so true. So we have this alienation, this separation from God. I want you all to remember those words because we're going to get into something else here in a minute in the middle of this study. But alienation, separation from God to a new life being reconciled with God. And now that we're reconciled with God, now God can start to transform us. He can start to change us. He can start to bring a new life. He can, we can again be born into something different and transformed by God to an eternal life with God. Now, here and now, and a future thing. And so, um, I love, uh, uh, somebody in this room actually sent me this the other day, and uh, it was, uh, I just love, I was reading it today, finally got around to it, but uh, in uh, talking about how we are being transformed by Christ, uh, we aren't supposed to stop. Like, a lot of times, what we do, a lot of times Christians, 
stop at the reconciliation part. They feel like they're justified by Jesus, they know Jesus, and they stop. They're good, right? They're getting into heaven, okay? We don't need to stop at the reconciliation part. Again, Paul said if you really want all the benefits of what it means to live in Christ, then move into the, the other part, okay? The, beyond the reconciliation, into the transformation part, the change part. And so we don't, as humans, like change. You know, we've got a lot of change going on in our church, a lot of change going on in your life. And I saw this the other day in this little email that I finally got around to, but they were quoting 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bible, you're more than welcome to turn. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I totally forgot about this, but I love how they referenced it because it works right into what Paul is trying to argue and talk about, that we're new creations in Christ, and we have this new life that's dominated, should be dominated by the Spirit and not by the law anymore. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is almost at the end of Corinthians, verse 51, and it's the part B of 51, it says, I'll read the whole thing, 51, but let me tell you a wonderful secret God has revealed to us. Not all of us will die, but we will all be transformed. Or your Bible might say changed. So we don't like to change, but in this Bible, in this little devotion, and you might have read the devotion, uh, some is, I think it's a popular devotion, but they were talking about how people don't like to change or people don't want and, and the person said, what are you going to do in heaven? <laughs> Because Paul actually says everybody will change. We're all going to be transformed. Um, and I just think that that's a better focus. You, know to, you might notice in words used in sermons, I talk about transformation a lot. I talk about it here a lot. Because I think a lot of times Christianity has ended at the reconciliation part. And we have got to move forward to the transformation part. We have to allow ourselves to be transformed. And we're going to get into that because that has a lot to do with sin. And there's some issues with sin that we're going to get into. Really the sinful nature, okay, in which he talks about a little bit later. So, okay, let's look at verses 1 through 4, okay? Again, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. For the power of the living, uh, life-giving spirit has freed you through Christ Jesus from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses could not save us because of our sinful nature, but God put into effect a different plan to save us. He sent his own son in a human body like ours, except that our sin, ours are sinful. God destroyed sin's control over us by giving, us, uh, by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the requirement of the law would be fulfilled, fully accomplished for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. So that's a transitional sentence right at the end. We should no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Again, condemnation is what we did in the past, so there's no condemnation for us. Conviction is what we're doing now. So you might feel conviction when you're in a Bible study. God might convict you um, beyond a Bible study and worship service, whatever, and you're in your own time, quiet time or prayer or just walking through life, you might have conviction. Something's going on now that you need to change or be different or you need to get rid of 
or that's alienating you somewhat from God, what he truly wants you to be. But condemnation, there's no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ because that was in the past, okay? So we shouldn't look back to our, our past sins. Um, so there's this liberation through Christ of what he did. Verse 2 from, uh, says we're free from the law of sin and death, okay? We're free from this law, and, and God did the work. Reminding you that verse 3 talks about God did the work. We, we heard that the last couple of chapters. God did the work. You didn't do the work. God did the work, okay? And then in verse 4, again, this sort of transitional sentence as he brings up that we no longer follow our sinful nature. Now, I was thinking about that. Todd and I were talking about it, and, and I was talking to uh, Todd about uh, his problem with sin. No, I wasn't talking to him about his problem with sin. I was, ta- I was talking to him. <laughs> we were talking about it because I was like, man, I am so ready to be, you know, if you read Romans, it's just a, a great letter. But it's like if you could just sit down and read it, by the time you're ready to get out of the law and sin and all that stuff, I, I, it's just like it goes quicker. But we've been verse by verse. So I said, I keep feel like I'm saying the same thing every, every week. You know, it's like we're all he's talking about the law and the law can't fulfill. And, you know, and so it's just so we were talking about that. And he said, and then we were talking about sin, and he said, you know, one thing we need to do is probably a lot of people tend to define sin in a particular way that often gets them off track, too. And I said, yeah, that's interesting, you know, because we really haven't talked about. So I thought, well, let's really get into maybe the definition of sin, and let's also maybe get into what a sinful nature really is and flesh some of that out. And I didn't feel like we could do that if we were just going verse by verse, and that's why I want to come back as well and cover some of this for us. Now, does anybody have the King James Version in here? Anybody use that? Okay. Does yours say flesh only, like, or is yours the New King James Version? It says, because uh, it should, we no longer... It flesh. Flesh, see... Okay, so they found, because the King James Version is a version removed, one removed, okay, from the original Greek language. It's the translation, the Latin, and then that was translated into English. So that's what, so it's like the new NIV and NRSV and some of the other ones that aren't paraphrases are, um, they are right from the Greek. And I think the new King James Version is right from the Greek, okay? But so that flesh thing was changed by the NIV version. Yours says sinful nature. Mine says sinful nature. It's the NLT. They saw a problem with that because that's not exactly what Paul was trying to say. Because when you say flesh, it gets us to thinking that our flesh is evil, right? And that is, we talked about last week, a little bit of a heretical issue. That was the Gnostics issue, okay? Yes, sir. NIV says... Uh, God did by sending his mm-hmm. own son mm-hmm. in the likeness of sinful flesh to mm-hmm. sin offering. Mm-hmm. Okay, but that's well, verse 4. What does verse 4 say? NIV. In order that the righteous requirement of the mm-hmm. law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh. No, it's to that spirit. version says that? NIV. The NIV? Wow. Because I think they fixed that. This is Bible Greg. This is from Bible Gateway. Wow, that must not be... Oh, that's strange. Well, 
the idea was we talked a little bit about it so that's sort of the primer well, well that's sort of the primer but flesh is not evil again the flesh is not evil and so it's important for us that we got to talk about this before we get to the sin part the flesh is not evil but it can commit evil things okay because what became flesh jesus right well us yeah exactly and that's what we're going to get into too but john 1 14 says the word became flesh so if flesh can't be evil then christ would have been evil okay so there's a little bit of an issue there in the translation stuff and then maybe that's more scholarly issues than anything important to us but I, I think it is important to us because a lot of times we just make sin about the flesh and i want to get us broaden our scope on sin but maybe redefine some of that too to help us understand what what sin really is and that helps us understand personally what he's trying to say in chapter 8 okay and so let me just talk about sin a little bit <laughs> which is funny i had a uh, i'll tell you a story and i might have told you this before too but i had a colleague at white's chapel that i worked with and her name was betsy godbold we have some Godbolds in the church, but her name is Betsy Godbold, and she's still there, and she's their big pastor of congregational care. But she was going through ordination. She was a second career person, so she was going through ordination after I was already ordained. And I said, well, how's your interview go? Well, they asked me about sin, and they didn't like my answer. So they all said, if you in the round, the, the, the sort of go away and work on things, they literally said, and if you could go away and work on sin, that would be great. And she was, <laughs> that is like one of the best stories. So anyway. That's not working on sinning. No, I know. Right. She got it. She, she figured it out. But anyway, it's kind of funny. Okay. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says, we've been created in the image of God, right? We've been created in his likeness, okay? And sometimes we think, well, that's just too good to be true, right? I mean, we've got to have some problems. I mean, you know, there's some issues. How can we literally be created in the image of God? But it's true, okay? It's so true. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, 2 Peter 1, 4 says we are we are actually going to be like Christ when he comes back we will see ourselves okay we'll have this union with him okay and over the past hundreds of years you have um you could go back to really some of the early Christians on some of this but Augustine came up with the idea of original sin which which I kind of hold true to we have this as Paul does we have this bent for sinning right that tends to it's not that our flesh is sinful it's just that we have a bent for sin, sinning okay in our in our nature now calvin uh you might know calvinists or calvin john calvin he said that we were totally depraved which i would totally disagree with and as a wesleyan we totally disagree with and so would wesley i mean he argued all the time about that luther um said that we are piles of manure <laughs> covered by Christ. So if you look at that, very negative anthropology, right? I mean, very negative. But a lot of times in the Christian faith, we have heard that being the dominant thing. 
And a lot of times that's just ruined people altogether. They're like, well, I don't want to know a God who thinks I'm manure pile, you know, covered by Christ. I mean, it's just strange. When, when if you go back to the original text in chapter 1 of Genesis that started it all from a text standpoint, the Bible standpoint, it says what? We've been actually created in his image, which is such a beautiful thing. Okay, so this negative starting point is not a very effective, even for Paul, this is where I think it comes back into chapter 8, it's not a very effective starting point for real transformation. To know, I, I think a lot of times, you know, you've ever had a bad coach or a bad teacher, if they just tell you how horrible you are, it's like you don't really transform. Sometimes you get mad at them and you just do it anyway, but a lot of times you need what? Encouragement, right? You need to know who truly you are, and Paul is going to get into that. He's going to say, let me tell you who you are now in Christ. So setting that up a little bit, and it's not a very effective way, I don't think, to transform people, to tell them how bad they are. That's what they always call fire and brimstone to an extent, or just, you know, I, I was tired of getting, a lot of people always say, gosh, you know, I love to... I love to hear about God's love and God's grace for us. I was tired of getting beat up at my other church or what. You know, a lot of times Christians say that a lot, and it's strange. I think it has a lot to do with control instead of actual biblical stuff. Yes? Manure. Is he talking about, I mean, encapsulating our potential? It has to be nurtured, though, like received and then get planted. Right. But good things have to come to us. From that? Oh, was Luther saying that? Yeah. No. You're trying to be nice to Luther. Yes. You're a good, yes, educator. That's right. I hear you. No, nor was Calvin, because uh, total depravity is tulip, they call it, total depravity. It's all sorts of theological terminology. But so this negative starting point, not very effective in transitioning, or... A lot of people would argue it's not very effective in creating loving people because what it does a lot of times is create people that are like, well, I, I got rid of that sin, but you didn't, and so I'm better than you type thing, okay? And why don't you pull yourself up by your bootstrap? So it takes your focus and puts on the wrong thing. And that's really, I'm just sort of setting this up. I'm not trying to change all your thoughts, but I think they're, it's very interesting in the light of what we're continuing to read here in a minute. Um, and i got a few other comments as before I get there too. So hold, hang with me. Um, so how do we undo this terrible foundation, perhaps, that has been a part of somebody's life? Well, Paul would say it's by grace, right? That's what he's arguing. He's like, you've missed the mark. You know, we all struggle with this. But, you know, thank God there's Jesus Christ, right? That's what he says at the end of uh, 7. Oh, I continue to struggle, continue to struggle. But, you know, chapter 7, thank God for Jesus Christ. I don't have to worry about it. And then he would also say in verse in chapter 8, he's going to say, and, well, he says the Holy Spirit, you know, he brings us into the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit will do this inside of us. So not only will grace, but the Holy Spirit. So getting back to uh, educator, fertile ground person back here, Alicia, <laughs> all people are fertile soil, okay? All people are fertile soil, and we should see all people as fertile soil, not as a pile of dung, 
okay? Different starting point. Now, if we're all fertile soil and all people are fertile soil, Paul would say, I'm going to leave that up to the Holy Spirit on a lot of fronts. I'm going to share them with Christ, and then I'm going to leave it up. And he does. He gets into that here in a minute, too, um, where he doesn't explain himself. He just says, by the Holy Spirit, okay? The... Um, he says, actually, it's in, I'll just point it out, verse 13, I think it says, but if through the power of the Holy Spirit you turn from it and its evil deeds, you will live. Now, he doesn't flesh all that out, okay? He doesn't, he doesn't say, well, let me tell you the 12 steps of alcohol, you know, it's anonymous. He just says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? So there's some mystery there, but all our fertile soil, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. Um, Jesus says in John 14, 26, uh, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and remind you of all things, okay? So it is the Spirit's job. It's not only the pastor's job, and I say that a lot. Sometimes it's not my job to convict you. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict you, right? I can just share the truth uh, about who God is, who we are. So sin, the natural traditional definition of sin is to miss the mark, right? If you're shooting at a target, you're missing the mark. It's also separation from God. Would we all agree on that one? We don't have to, but hopefully we do. Separation from God. And I would add to it separation from our original identity, who we are created to be, right? Because we are created in God's image. And if we're not living as God, no, not loving the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and loving our neighbor as ourselves, then we're not what? We're not ultimately living in our original identity or our true self, you could say even. Okay, so sin is a separation from God, a not living in our original identity or true self. And for most people, this is where it gets a little challenging, I think. Most people, sin is the little naughty behaviors that we do. Okay, it's the moral stains because we've had bad thoughts or we've had bad words or we've had bad deeds. Okay. And Paul actually argues that sin can also be a state of um, corporate power. It can be what? He says power and principalities, actually. And he all, it's an entrapment, maybe, something that's entrapped you and kept you from. And some people, um, I was reading Richard War stuff the other day, addiction right? Something where you're living out of something that doesn't allow you to be your true self in God, okay? And I have no hit agenda when I talk about sin on this. I'm just letting you know this is sort of, I'm trying to repaint so that we can look at this chapter 8 and make it, I think, more full. So Jesus would say sin was blindness, wouldn't he? Um, he, he would say that it traps us in self-destructive behaviors, which it can be those dirty little things, but it's the, that's not the, the origin of sin isn't the dirty little behavior. It's actually the symptoms of the sin, of your sep separateness, okay? You're, you're not living out of who you're supposed to be, not living as you walk with God. Then you have these symptoms, which are these little things, these maybe dirty little issues that you have and stuff like that. So that's a symptom. The sin is deeper rooted than that. Uh, Self-destructive behaviors, hard-heartedness, right? Jesus was all about that as well. 
There is there. Do you think there's a reason if you look at miracles, Jesus healed blind people? And he challenged religious leaders who always saw themselves as superior to others. Right? That was his biggest enemy, wasn't it? So think about that. But most call, uh, again, sin the symptoms of sin, right? Stupid decisions, um, that I, ignorance. Uh, those would be, I think, I think a lot of times people just make stupid decisions. They're just ignorant of who they are and who God wants them to be. And so they just, that causes them to basically sin. Now, it can be malice, right? You can have some real evil in your heart, and you can be malicious about things. But disconnected people, think about this, spiritually disconnected people, and even in your life when you're disconnected from God in some particular way, do stupid things, right? Because they aren't unified with God. They aren't unified with their neighbor, right? So they have insecurities. They got to attack people. They got to um, uh, one up somebody. They got to conquer. They have to. I mean, you can see how all this kind of comes in. So disunion is their new state. Sinful nature and a sinful state could be a disunion from God altogether. But a union with God is new life, founded in as you listen to Jesus teach. What? Love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and your neighbor as yourself, right? If you don't do that, you're not fulfilling the law that Jesus would say is the most important thing, and thus the union with God, because God created you in his image as an overflow of all the love that he has. He wants to be in a relationship with you, right? Okay, so we should reconnect with God and... um, the other part of that is you can't, re, you can't work at reconnecting. Okay, I'm tying this into Paul. What would Paul say? Okay, the problem is you got to reconnect with God and you got to live out of everything that you should be and you were created to be. But Paul says, well, I try that and I don't do it right. Right? That's kind of what he says, right? And so you can work hard, but it doesn't always reconnect you, right? What reconnects you to God? Faith responding to God in faith in Jesus Christ is what he says. So you can see where unity and connection comes together, claiming this new life, claiming this new thing inside of you, right? New identity. Um, You can't really get there by effort. You have to respond to it because it's already there. So Paul's New revelation of faith and new life is an awakening, not an accomplishing. And that's interesting to think about. It's not a real, it's a realizing of who you are, not a performing. Okay? And sometimes, again, I'll reiterate, that's just too hard to believe. That's too hard to believe. That we have a God that doesn't care about performance, and he wants you to realize more who you are in him. Uh, he doesn't care about accomplishing. He wants you to be awakened and reunited with him. Um, think about this, too, and then we're going to move on into the rest of the verses, and I think we should be good. We should make it through quite a bit of the chapter. Yes, go ahead. Doesn't he refer to the fact that we do have a sinful nature? Yes. He just says mm-hmm. that we aren't necessarily controlled by it. Correct. Because we have the Spirit of Right. God. We do have a sinful nature. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. he, he's not all that different than mm -hmm. some of those other theologians you mentioned in, in that regard, is it? Well, the that's, is, yeah. The difference mm -hmm. is that he believes that you can mm -hmm. overcome it with Correct. the spirit of God. Well, they did too. They did too. But what I'm trying to get at is sinful nature is not just the messy little things that we do. Sinful nature is a separation from God and not understanding. There's a reason why, what I'm getting at is there's a reason why he's about to argue, and if we remember from last week, he's about to argue that you are a part of the family of God now, and now you have a new nature. So that's, that's a, there's a reason. Why would he say that? And, I mean, he could just say, hey, you're all great. Now you believe in Jesus. Go get it. You know, I mean, he's really, there's a reason why he's saying you're part of the family of God. I think it's deeper than sometimes we make it is what I'm getting at. Yes? I was sitting here thinking, where does free will come into this? And so mm -hmm. what you're saying is it's choosing faith. That's right. Choosing to respond to who you are and whose you are. That's right. In Christ. In Christ. So in the Bible, if you look at sin, that if you track sin, sin is living outside the garden, actually. In the Jewish things, if you look back on sin, um, they had the laws, all the laws and all that, and they had the sacrificial system to take care of it. But the original understanding of sin was living outside the community as well. Okay? And Jesus said, Basically, hell, listen, this is, it's all ties in here. I'm not saying that everybody's going to go out of here and go, oh, I totally believe that. I'm just trying to make a case, okay, for this and trying to shed some of our other thinking on some, on some things. But Jesus said that hell and sin, basically, those people that were totally separated from God was like living outside of the walls of Jerusalem in the garbage dump, Right? and the smoldering garbage dump. It was living outside of who you are, living outside of the community, who you already were, okay? It's like, you are God's chosen people. You should live in the city with me, right? But you have chosen to live outside the walls for some reason. You've chosen to not be in union with me, okay? And You've chosen to be below and outside the city walls and separated from this union. And um, that's an interesting thing. So that, to me, is what I'm getting at is that's what, Don, you were saying, that's the sinful nature. We have this desire to be separated from God, okay? And, the, and for some apparent reason. Now, the other, and then... Only humble people can receive the gift, right? Only, only arrogant people don't need to claim Jesus, right? They don't need to claim all the promises of Christ because they got that. They got it, right? But if you're humble and you're surrendered, then you can receive faith. If you look, think back on your faith journey, right? If you've had that moment it's when you were finally humbled enough and weren't arrogant about it and you surrendered, right? That's an act of faith. It's like God's going to take care of this. So it affirms surrendering, and that's why people who are arrogant struggle with this, is because surrendering affirms much more about God than it does about us, all right? And we 
struggle, sometimes we struggle in faith and other people struggle in faith because they think it's, it's foolish that we don't, everything isn't about us, but we think it's about us, you know, a lot of times. Even in religious places, in faith places, it's like, Jesus died for me, you know what I mean? Um, I'm not saying he didn't die for you and didn't die for me. He did die for us, but sometimes it can be so narrow um, and all about us. So I know that draws that brings up a lot of questions and thoughts. We probably be here all night talking about that as well. So let's look at verse five. Those who are dominated by the sinful uh, nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. If, you, if your sinful nature controls your mind, there is death. But if a Holy Spirit controls your mind, there is life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. Always disconnected from God. Always outside the walls from God. You see, kind of hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful spirit sinful nature can never please God because ultimately they're separated from God, okay? But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You're not separated from God anymore. You have union with him, so you are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them are not Christians at all. Since Christ lives within you, even though your body will die because of sin, your spirit is alive because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as he raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal body by His uh, the same Spirit living within you. So, verse 5, characteristics of a sinful nature, basically, um, is you're going to live a new life. Okay, those dominated by sinful nature um, think about sinful things, right? He could go on and he could list all those things, which he has in other letters, but he didn't do it, okay? But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about the things that are pleasing to the Spirit, right? Love the Lord your God with your, all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Abide in me. You're in union with me. These are, the, these are basically... To me, he also spells it out in other places, but if your sinful nature, he says, controls your mind, there is death, but if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there is life and peace, right? So, verse, um, let's see, uh, verse 7, the being hostile to God, it's a mind uh, that is set on their own desires, right? Not God's desires, their own desires. Again, it's a selfish thing. They're all focused on them. They're not in union with God. Again, that's the sinful nature um, that has kept them apart. Verse 8, it's hard to please God um, when you never think about him and his ways, basically is what Paul says, right? That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Well, if you don't ever think about God's stuff, right, and you never try to do it, what he asks you to do, Christ has you, well, it's going to be hard to please God, right? You're not pleasing God for your salvation, but it's, it's going to be hard to please God. 
Verse 9, um, Spirit of God is living in you as, as he says, is con- you're, con- you're not controlled by your sinful spirit nature anymore. You're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. Well, again, the Spirit of God living in you is more than a spiritual thought, okay? We have lots of spiritual thoughts, but it's more than that. It's more than control of your behavior. Because why? Because you don't always do what you're supposed to do, right? We all know that. Paul said that just earlier in the chapter. But the presence of divine nature in us gives us the ability to be controlled by the Spirit because we're finally in union with what truly we were created to be. So the very thing that lives within you and you were created for now becomes alive more, okay? Which is a cool thing to think about. If you think about in Acts chapter 17, verse 28, there's a reference. We live and move and have our being in God. Think about that. Live and move and have our being. It's like breathing air, right? It's not a spiritual thought. It's like literally everything we do, breathe in, breathe out. It's who we are. It's who we created to be. We live life in the Spirit. Now, verse 10 and verse 11, we talked a little bit about last week. We still have mortal bodies. We're not exempt from pains or aches or frustrations or suffering or physical death itself. It is coming, right? But then Paul, what he does, because he's Paul and he takes a lot of liberties sometimes, okay? I'm just telling you. He leaps into the future and he says, there's something here that's now, but there's also something in the future. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and just as he raised Christ from the dead, he will give you life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within us. Now, last week, we got in a great discussion about that for a little while. Again, Paul could write paragraph and paragraphs about, well, what exactly did he mean? Really, what he means, again, is that we're not, we're subject to death. We're going to die. But let's jump into the future. Our death means that ultimately in Christ we come and we're going to have physical bodies in resurrection, okay? We're going to have these, these bodies that are mortal are going to become basically immortal as well, along with our spirits that already are immortal. So um, let's see. Um, verse 12, let's start. Let's read. start reading there. 12 through... 17, so dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation whatsoever to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you keep on following it, you will perish. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit you turn from it and its evil deeds, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of the God. So you should not be like cowering, fearful slaves. You should, again... He's telling us our identity. He's telling these people their identity. He's reminding them who they are. You should behave instead like God's very own children adopted into his family, calling him Father, dear Father. For his Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us that we are God's children. Since we are his children, we will share his treasures. For everything God gives to his Son, Christ, is ours too. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. So, um, 
Let's look at that. So verse 12, so dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation whatsoever to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Again, you don't have to do that anymore. Let me tell you who you are, right? So Paul basically says the Holy Spirit, and he gets into the Holy Spirit's going to convict you. The Holy Spirit's going to tell you what to do. The Holy Spirit, but if you're not listening, if you're not in union with God and listening in this working relationship with Him, if it's just about a one-time decision long ago when you were 12 years old and you walked down an aisle, right, and you don't allow yourself to be transformed and changed, then you're never going to be listening exactly. So holiness ultimately can't just be regimented, right? It must be revealed to us through the Spirit in our lives, in our daily lives, over and over. Um, now, as the church and as Christians, a lot of times, I'm just going to sort of bring my own conviction, and y'all's a little bit too, step on our toes. Sometimes in church and in, as Christians, we can get lax about living by the Spirit and what's right, not, not so much, well, what's like a sinful desire or sinful nature. Sometimes we can get really lax about that because we judge ourselves against the world and against others sometimes. It's like, well, we're not as bad as they are, right? I'm not saying y'all do that, but sometimes we do do that, right? And, and that can creep into the church as well. Um, and, and it's not by, so it gets to be, well, well, that's, that's, that's you know, the world's kind of like that, and so we're not as bad, so we're okay. Instead of just saying, what's the Holy Spirit say to us right now? What's the Spirit want from me and my life right now? What are they? What, what's the Holy Spirit telling me right now to do with that issue or that thing in my life? See so the different starting points there? Well, it looks like I'm doing great compared to the world. Or, no, what does God want for you right now? You. Don't worry about the world. You. Right. This is a. This is God has created you for something. Okay. So, verse fourteen. You're part of a new family. You have, because of a new family, you also, to me, have a new obligation as you go back a little further. But it's, it's your behavior should reflect who you are now, and it should reflect whose you are, right? As we live as a representation of our Heavenly Father. Because what does he say? He says, hey, later on, you can call him Father to your Father. It's just like anything... Um, being an athlete, we always had that, you know, coach always like, you're representing your school, right? You're representing your team. You're not representing yourself anymore. So we represent God's family now. So that's important. So that can be convicting to us as well. But that's who we are. We're a different type of people now. We should be new. We should be born again. We should care about the things that God cares about. So, and God cares about people who are not in union with him. Okay, that's who God cares about, okay? Verse 15, um, again, so you should not be like cowering, fearful slaves. Listen, Paul doesn't motivate us by guilt here. He says, listen, you have an entitlement, and you have a new relationship with Jesus Christ, and now God is your Father. That's pretty motivating, to me. I don't know about y'all. It's like, that's the same thing with the coaches. You represent your school. You represent your team. It's like, 
this is bigger than just me, but I'm also, I'm, I'm a different person. I'm, I'm a part of something that's different. I, I love that. I don't know, that motivates me. So to hear that I am now a child of God and that I can call God my father instead of being separated from him or fearful of him, to me, that's very motivating. So Paul doesn't motivate with guilt here. At times he does motivate with guilt, but right here he's not doing that. Uh, verse 16 and 17, just as some recap, is this is, you could say, for his Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us that we are his, God's children. It's actually the starting, scholars say, the starting point for the doctrine of assurance. Um, that you can't use external experiences as your yardstick for whether you're saved or not. You can use that language. Or you're in union with God or whatever, or you know, you're know you okay with God. It can't just be external experiences as your yardstick. It has to be that literally the Holy, speaks, the Holy Spirit speaks into your life. And um, it's important that you're listening. So again, that's what Paul, I think, is saying, basically. He's saying, hey, your children and the Holy Spirit speaks deep into your hearts. Are you listening to that? Yes? Well, what would be an example, Marty, mm -hmm. of external experiences that some people might use as a measuring? Well, tons of the, you know, the little sinful issues, the little, you know, hey, that person has an addiction to this, or that person over here um, does that behavior, or that person over here, you know, that type of stuff. Um, or, man, I had a bad week, you know, I reverted back to being impatient with people, I was snippy or whatever. I'm just wondering if I'm really saved, you know? That sort of external yardstick, no, it's like if that's where we have to go, we have to listen to the Spirit and not listen to ourselves and look at an external yardstick. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, everything that we, I'm talking about us because Paul's talking about us. But this also translates into how we treat other people, right? And how we see other people. So, okay. Well, they're not really saved, you know? Like, good Lord. I mean, you're the judge and creator now, huh? You know all about that, huh? Uh, good luck with that one on Judgment Day if you do that one. I don't do that as a pastor. That scares me to death. The Bible talks all about how you shouldn't do that. So, um, so he does it. Okay, so... In verse, um, in verse 17, it's almost a transitional phrase for us, okay? And since we are his children, we will share his treasures for everything God gives to his son, Christ, is ours too. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share in his suffering, okay? Transitional phrase, almost like the paradox here is there is present day suffering but there is future glory okay he talks about it in, in philippians chapter 3 verse 10 through 11 you can reference that if you want but there's a new paradox now that paul's getting after he's like listen i know i've been telling you who you are that you live in the spirit but let me tell you something there's still earthly suffering now, there's a future hope and glory, but there's earthly stuff. So he transitions himself into 18 through 25. I want to look at that. And we got into some of that on Sunday as well with the sermon. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will give us later. 
For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, everything on earth was subjected subjected to God's curse. All creation anticipates the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And even with Christians, although we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, also groans to be released from pain and suffering. We too wait anxiously for that day when God will give us our full rights as his children, including the new bodies he has promised us. Now that we have saved, now that we are saved, we eagerly look forward to this freedom. For if we already have something, you don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't have yet, we must wait patiently and confidently. So here's Paul, and he's saying, I'm going to move a little bit too from the inner self the inner where are you in union with God and union with Christ and who are you and whose are you to the outer circumstances, okay, that will affect your life. And there's suffering out there. There's wickedness out there. There's bad things out there that happen to you and good people. We talked a lot. Psalm 73 talks about how the wicked prosper. Why do the wicked prosper? I mean, that's crazy, right? Um, they should be punished. Well, uh, bad things happen to good people too. But Paul doesn't say suffering is, and this is the other key here, suffering is from sinful conduct. can be at times. He doesn't say that right here. He doesn't actually even say that uh, suffering is from spiritual laziness. Okay, And he doesn't say that it's from a lack of faith that it stirs up God's wrath against you and then all of a sudden you're going to get something bad in your life because you haven't been faithful enough, okay? He doesn't say any of that. And uh, he says that ultimately there's this paradox that you will you are alive in Christ, but you also have a mortal body and you're going to have suffering and you have things that happen. There's also this paradox that there's a time that is here and now but there's also a time that you'll know future glory and that's the whole body thing you know it's like christ has promised us the new body we would all love that right no more tears no more sickness no more cancer no more nothing right well that's gonna happen but we only have a glimpse of that right now right it's a spiritual glimpse that rises up inside of us with the holy spirit but we don't have that physical glimpse of that yet um and um, I think it's interesting. I was thinking about this. Paul doesn't say, I'm going to, we'll wrap up here in a minute, but Paul doesn't say um, that suffering in bad times and, and stuff that like the world has gone to hell in a handbasket, he doesn't say that that's just from, he doesn't like point out that sinful conduct, that spiritual laziness, that's a lack of faith, like I was talking about. It actually, He's, he's saying there's this period of time now, and then there's a new period of time. And some of that for me is, is that combats those end of time signs that people like to think of. Well, the Lord's coming back now because you see how sinful the world is. The sinful, the world's been sinful for a long time, y'all, right? Um, 
And the world has been spiritually lazy for a long time. This, the world has lacked a faith for a long time, right? So, he did. He did to an extent, didn't he? Yeah, isn't that funny? Right, exactly. And it's been almost 2,000 years. All right? It is down the road for God. Okay, so, but by hope, I love that. So Paul, let me make this last point. Paul uses hope and faith interchangeably, which is crazy to think about. But he does. He likes that, okay? And so he says, you know, it's like it, you, gotta, you don't need to hope for it. For if you already have something, you don't need to hope for it. But if you look forward to something you don't have, we must wait patiently and confidently. So he's actually, he's actually talking about this concept of hope. We should have hope. We should have faith. Okay? I love to just point that out because I think that's important. Um, now that we're saved, we eagerly look forward. We hope. We have faith to this freedom, this new thing that will happen. So um, he also, I'm going to just wrap up on a couple of thoughts on this. Um, he's stressing that the Christian life that thorns are real, suffering's real, right? He talks about that. He says the thorns in his side, right? Thorn in his flesh, he talks about. He talks about, again, personal, uh, political uh, problems that are going in the church. There's just falliness. There's brokenness. There's stuff like this in the world, and we can't, sometimes we can't get away from it. And that's where, and I'll end with this by reading it, and we'll go. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our distress or weakness. For we don't, even know what we should pray for, nor how we should pray, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn. With many brothers and sisters, and having chosen them, he called them to come to him. Reunion, right? And he gave them right standing with himself, and he promised them his glory. So God is in control. God's trustworthy. God is sovereign. Um, keep the future in mind, right? Um, God's aware of us. God has designed everything to rescue us and to bring us back into union with him. And uh, I would say this, it's more than a band-aid, right? It's, it's, it's an important, this is, a, this is more than a band-aid. Jesus is more than a band-aid. Um, God has done something bigger inside of us than some of us have claimed yet in our own lives. So, and some of us are learning what that is. Okay. Go in peace. That's a lot tonight. You didn't get to talk much tonight. Sorry. Next week. Next week. Yeah, that was fun. That's a lot of info. Yes. Oh, Unstoppable by Nick. I can look up Unstoppable. Yeah, Unstoppable by Nick something. Okay, got it. Yep, yeah. Oh, I think you'd like it. It was a good breed.
Good read. Good read. Yep. Yep. Thank you, Debbie. All right, ball. Take care, man. You bet.